All right, everybody. Welcome to the Bloodgrana Show. My name is Josh. We are joined by uh, United States bound this time. He's, he's not overseas anymore. Nick, Nick, how are we doing today? Yeah, doing great. Um, feeling good all in all. Kind of disappointed that we don't have our midweek Copa fixtures with Barcelona, but finding other things to do with my life. Yeah, you kind of saw the uh, the peak of Barcelona season with the uh, the the wonderful win over Real Madrid in the in the league, and then it uh, it quickly spiraled downhill uh, quite quickly with some a run of terrible results that uh, we're going to chat about. But before we, you know, we always start talking about the results. I was I kind of want to talk about just big picture Barcelona summer stuff because. It's late April, which means the summer scuttlebutt is starting to kind of pick up a little bit. You know, all the reports about all the players Barcelona wants to sell, all the money they want to make this summer. Who do you want Barcelona to sell this summer? Oh, to sell this summer. We're starting there. Mm-hmm. Um, who would be surplus to value? I don't know. Honestly, at this point, I think Rafinha makes the most sense because he was, you probably get a lot of money back for him. And he, even at his best, he doesn't quite seem to fit in very well uh, with the, you know, whatever system is in place there. I wrote kind of an article last week, kind of putting that in air quotes, the word system. But for whatever's there, he seems to not really um, fit the Barca way of playing. And I was a big fan of Rafinha when he was at Leeds. And you could see, like, how much he has to offer when he's in a good setup for himself. So I, I, would, I guess I would start there and say, you probably get a lot of money for him. And uh, it would allow you to keep some other players. And uh, I think it just makes probably the most sense if you're going to put people in the market. What about, uh, what about Ferran Torres? Do you think, because I, okay, before actually, before Ferran Torres, Rafinha, I think that's a good answer because he still has value. Like there's still reports that Chelsea of all teams are still interested in him because they were, they were interested last year before he came to Barcelona. Uh, I guess I don't really understand. I don't know. I guess I don't know how a team could watch what they've seen. And it's Todd Bully, so I guess, you know, rationality flies out the window with him at this point. But, like, what do you think he could give a team at this point? Like, what what, what value? Do you think it's the system at Barcelona that's kind of dragged him down a little bit? Or what do you think the problem has been for him at the club? Yeah, a little bit of the system. I think the pace is kind of too slow and too methodical with the buildup with Barcelona. And I think he's just much better in a free-flowing game. And you're never really going to get that from Barcelona. I think at Leeds, that's why he was so good. He was the main man. The offense was funneled through him, and they were just very high-tempo team. And Barcelona's never been a high-tempo team. So it's not like when I think of Chelsea, that's necessarily their style either. But I think he, a change of scenery would do him so good because I think he has so much talent. And it's uh, kind of just too bad when you see that someone go to a new system and they don't look they look like a shell of themselves. I really do believe in Rafinha. So I think for both parties, it would be worth considering. Um, but I get the sense that Rafinha would be the one person who wouldn't be too keen on moving. I think he thinks he has something to prove and he's probably the one that wants to stay at Barcelona the most. So that could be probably the biggest challenge to making it happen. So I know why Barcelona would want to sell someone like him and Ferran Torres for financial reasons. Uh, one might argue <laughs> me being one of them, that the attack is bad enough right now. And why would you want to sell players that, yes, have not performed at their price tag uh, in the case of Ferran Torres and Serfinha, but given how poor Barcelona's attack has looked recently and kind of up and down over this season, you know, you can, we can blame the Dembele injury all we want, but he's one player. Like Lewandowski has been healthy. Fatih has been healthy. Torres has been healthy. Rafinha has been healthy. They have had the majority of their attack this season. 
Uh, and I understand that, you know, the sale of Torres, the sale of Rafinha are to fund a Messi contract, right? Uh, I don't think Messi solves all their offensive problems, right? Like when they, he's not an out and out left or right winger at this point in his career. He can't give them the speed and the, the width on the outside. So kind of in your head, if that is the rationalization, because I think that that seems to be the reports, right? Is they want to get this money to sign Messi. Uh, how does that attack look any better next season? If, if let's say, let's say Torres and Rafinha are both gone. Let's say Fati sticks around and you have Messi. The the attack on the wings is still kind of sketchy, especially when you have some injury-prone players, isn't it? Yeah, and I also think that clearly... I mean, there's two reasons you have the speculation why you're selling these players. Now it's because of it's kind of the only way to get messy. Uh, but before that, it was just because finance, again, you have to get money out to bring anybody in. And if Messi comes back in, I think that maybe you have to go to like a 4-4-2 or maybe it's a different formation to kind of suit his, his strengths. And if you had a 4-4-2, you would have Messi and Lewandowski up top. And in that type of formation, you would need a totally different type of winger. So when I think of uh, how do you fit Messi into what Barcelona is doing here, um, I have a hard time thinking that this is going to work on, like the, on the field, Messi coming back. And I guess maybe we're diving kind of deep into just the question of, is this even a good idea to bring Messi back? Oh no! Look, hey, listen. Should if we, we talk, we might here's the thing: be long. If we if, if we talk about it, it means I can put it in the title. So that's totally okay. fine for me if we talk about it. Because here's you bring up a really good point. So let's say they do change formations, right? There's also it seems like a, of course it seemed like a certainty for a few things last year. The reports are that Ilke Gundogan is like very convinced and close to coming to Barcelona. If that is okay. the case, Busquets returns. So now. I'm going to count on my hand for those that are watching on YouTube. You got Busquets, De Jong, Pedri, Gavi, assuming he doesn't go to Chelsea, uh, uh, Gundogan, and then I'm forgetting someone. Pedri, De... no, oh, uh, Frank Kessie. Yeah. So I have six first-team quality midfielders. Yeah. Uh, if, and I guess if you even want to put Messi in there as like an attacking midfielder at this point, but you know, he can play up top, whatever. So you have six midfielders. And if you switch formations, are you trying to play Gavi on the left side? Like I, I, they have a lot of really good midfielders and not a lot of good attackers at this point. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe it would look something like what the Argentinian national team looks like. We have a lot of these physical, hardworking players that you surround Messi with. But other than Gavi, I'm not sure how many of those midfielders meet the profile. Gundogan, I don't think even. He's a very technical player. He's very good. Actually, you can get him on a free. I think that's a good signing to have some depth. Maybe you have some, I don't, but I don't know like how many of those midfielders, except for Frank Kessie, that you would actually consider uh, selling at this point. So, um, I mean, in my opinion, I think Messi is an attacking midfielder. If, if, some, if a coach had the guts to really to try something new, I think the player that he swaps in for the best is Pedri. I think a 4-2-3-1 with Messi playing behind Lewandowski would actually make a lot of sense, except for he doesn't do a lot of defensive work. Um, but obviously, you're not going to choose anybody over Pedri these days. This is really his team of the future, uh, Pedri. So I, I don't know how it works. Uh, hopefully, Chavi has some ideas in mind. I think it's high risk. It almost seems like because of the way things ended with him, Barcelona feels like it's not even about the sporting project, like Messi enhances the team at this point in his career. Does he create more problems than offer solutions? Honestly, I think skepticism is very fair. I'm very skeptical 
whether this uh, turns out in Barcelona's favor. Uh, but it, it'll be a lot of interesting uh, like trade-offs that happen. Like who you have to get rid of to bring in Messi. Is, is the team any stronger? Uh, is it going to like the defense has been really good this year? Is that going to disrupt uh, what they've been able to accomplish? And I definitely, you can count me as a skeptic and I'd have to hear more from Xavi to, see, to understand what his ideas are to make it work. Yeah, I... I don't know if I would categorize myself as a skeptic. Like, I think if you asked me if I could trade Rafinha and Ferran Torres for Messi, would I do it? And I think my answer would be yes. Uh, I I guess I would expect a really good manager to be able to solve the, and again, managers at PSG, I think that's more of a PSG problem than anything. But I would expect that a good manager can figure out how to make talents like Lewandowski, Messi, Usman Dembele, and then I would argue if they bring Gundogan in, the best midfields in the world, or at least top three, I mean, De Jong, Gavi, Pedri, and Gundogan is ridiculous. And then to have uh, Busquets and Kessie in there for rotation and also defensive uh, fortification, like that is a ridiculous midfield if deployed correctly. And so I think if you have to go with like a primary attacking trio, whether or not what formation it works in of Dembele, Messi, and Lewandowski, I would take that for a year, despite the weirdness that Lewandowski has brought on the pitch, the, the way that they don't seem to know how to use him. I guess this is this comes back to a lot of the problems we've talked about, right? Where has Xavi, is he, is he an experienced enough manager to uh, make a not obvious, like that group of players is not an obvious, here's what you do with them. It, it's not simple, like two wingers, a striker, and three midfielders, right? There's a lot of multifaceted players that can do different things. Is Chavi the right guy to sort all of that out? And that is that is the problem for me. It's not the talent. It's next year could technically go poorly, and I would put that on Chavi for the most part because at that point the talent is there. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And when you made the comment like, "Would I trade for Torres and Rafinha for Messi?" When you put it that way, I have to say, yeah. If that's the option, then I would make that trade. I think that would be good, and I think Messi offers a lot that messy magic, those points in the game where you can do something nobody else can do. Um, of course, the third option would just be, can you potentially get rid of Ferran or Rafinha, get some money, and then have a different strategy in the market altogether that doesn't involve Messi. Um, and I don't know, maybe they'll talk about that a little bit as well. I think we had an article up today about um, Jules Koundé potentially having to go in order to yes, bring Messi. That was... that's, that's even more startling when you hear that, because I think if our heads, if that's what we're thinking, then I'm not sure we're really strategizing correctly. That was that was literally the next bullet point. Um, there's a report that you know Barcelona are always interested in Dani Almo. I don't know how much stock I put into that for 30 million, but the Jules Kounde thing was uh, especially, like you said, concerning to me when I see something like that. I I think when you're getting into the uh, you know, and we haven't even talked about the prospect of registering Gavi and the weird rumors that are coming out about. Chelsea meeting with his parents and his agents and the possibility of Luis Enrique going to Chelsea and what that would do to Gavi's mentality if, hey, of Luis Enrique whispering in his ear, you know, they're unstable, they can't even register you, come make gajillion dollars at Chelsea. I don't think he would go, but it's still looming. And if you don't feel appreciated uh, and they're prioritizing Messi by offloading Torres, Rafinha, Jules Koundé even... Uh, the the off season could be a strange one. 
Yeah, crazy things have happened. I mean, first of all, I think the new generation of players don't think like the old ones in terms of like having the romantic connection to Barcelona. Gavi's not even a Barcelona product. I mean, he is in some ways, but he he's not like he was kind of he really went through the system extremely quickly. I don't think he's Barcelona like born and bred. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. And because he became a star at such a young age to have this mindset where um, he can go anywhere and be the star of the show. And if he has a coach and being in a big club in England, um, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't like read Gavi in, in, that, in that way. But at the same time, I, I don't think it would totally surprise me if things got interesting the way you put it in the summer. And if Barcelona, you know, just can't forever use the brand to bring players in and to keep players there, you have to be able to pay them and uh, give them what they think that they um, deserve, which is why this whole like Dembele contract situation could be really interesting when that opens up again as well. Uh, but no, what comes to Jules Koundé, uh, that has been the best part of the team this year. Four-man back line, we know who they are now. It's Koundé, it's Araujo, it's Christensen, and it's Baldi. Those are the four. Barca at their best, they've been the strength of the team. And I don't think it's because of any genius of Xavi, except for the fact that he did probably have some input in getting, actually a lot of input, and persuading Kunde to join away from Chelsea last summer, if you remember that. Uh, but it's the talent of the players that have made that so strong. So I wouldn't. I think it would be crazy to try to break that up into do mental gymnastics to justify it. Especially when like you could still, I mean, somebody will still pay you a little bit for Eric Garcia, especially since Xavi doesn't seem to trust him. And it was cute putting Garcia in the midfield, but we just talked about when they're healthy next year, especially if they add Gundogan, there's not space in the midfield for someone like Eric Garcia. Uh, and it would be nice to have him as a backup center back, but like they're, he doesn't seem to want him as center back. Like it seems like he'd rather play Marcus Alonso still. And I feel like we've been talking about that for months about how strange that is that the uh, air prone ways of Marcus Alonso are getting priority as a backup center back. I agree. And to be perfectly honest, I feel like I have to defend Eric Garcia a little bit just because of that statement right there, how you could choose Marcus Alonso over him to me is crazy. And Eric Garcia is exceptional he's very versatile i'm not saying he should be in the starting 11 at any point but he's an exceptional passer he's very technical he's good in the ball if busquets for some reason doesn't resign or renew his contract um having him on the roster as a backup center back and even to continue the experiment of seeing what he can do in the in the pivot role to me is very interesting for another season unless somebody just comes along and offers him someone like arsenal lots of money but uh a little defense of eric garcia not because i think he should be a starter just because I think that he's gotten a, kind of a raw deal this year. No, I, I don't even think you have to cash that. He has definitely gotten a raw deal this year, and it's unfortunate. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the on-the-field product recently. Why can't Barcelona score? Yeah, that's, now that is, that is a good question. That is a very deep question. Um, there seems to be a lack of chemistry, I guess, from my whole like soccer coaching like mind that I get with my team and just watching Barcelona for over a decade uh, to me like what it starts with is they seem to really struggle struggle playing out of the back and with Pedri out in particular and I don't think Busquets is you know carrying the load on his own they seem to really struggle building through the midfield with speed and holding on to the ball just in general to be able to get it into good positions in the final third and to be creative to you know to make something happen so I think that absence of Pedri, can you actually pick up the ball and Frankie de Jong and penetrate through the midfield and then have an outlet to someone like Dembele who can create something? I mean, everyone, people who didn't like Dembele like to criticize him all the time when he was playing. But how many chances did he create? You could, make, you could say he gave away a few balls here and there. But in any given game, you could create a highlight reel of how many opportunities and chances he just would break down the fullback and create on his own. So you combine the absence of Pedri and Frankie. You can't get through the midfield. You can't hold on to the ball. 
and maybe Dumbele is even a bigger factor. Uh, someone needs to get the ball to Lewandowski. And Rafinha has a few moments of brilliance. He'll have like one or two moments of brilliance every game, but most of the game he's kind of invisible. And Ferran Torres hasn't played, and Ansu hasn't played, so maybe Xavi needs to rethink about maybe giving those forwards more of a shot. Uh, but I think that's what it comes down to, um, the absence of Frankie and Pedri now, although this was starting to happen even before they got injured to some extent. They weren't like scoring tons of goals even at the beginning of the new year. Yeah, I... Xavi is like, I'm I'm so conflicted on him because they're going to win the league, uh, in all likelihood they're they're going to Real Madrid advancing in the Champions League helps them because we've seen Real Madrid in Champions League weeks like they they don't look as crisp in the league as they should. Uh, Barcelona, despite not scoring goals, doesn't really give up goals in the league either, so they're probably going to be fine there. It's concerning to me that, uh, I don't know, Lewandowski's getting older, and. I don't know. I say all that to say I'm just concerned heading into next year. I'm I'm very I'm concerned. Too. You know, the one detail I didn't mention, but now that you, as you were talking, kind of was thinking of it. I think it also kind of talks about the not having a solution at at right fullback or wing back, whatever you want to do it on the right back side. It does have an effect on the offense as well. Um, it's great having Balde to be able to generate something on the left side, but there comes a point where yeah, put out a Raúl there against Vinny Junior, and you can kind of sacrifice the offense from that flank against Real Madrid, but you do, whether it's an overlapping fullback or if you want to invert them, you have to have some kind of strategy for how the, the right backs can get involved in the offense a little bit more. So I think they need to do that as well. Um, this weekend is going to be interesting. So there's a report, I think within the last hour, that Pedri de Jong and Dembele, surprisingly, are really close to getting a medical discharge and being ready to play, uh, or at least be in the rotation, perhaps. Like I would be surprised if Dembele played, but I, I kind of expect Pedro and De Jong to at least play some. Uh, so Barcelona are going to be near full strength this weekend against Atleti. What are you expecting against Diego Simeone? This is a tough one because on the one hand, you have still a significant lead in the league, so you don't want to throw them out there just to win the game, even though if you won the game and you gave put out your best team. That would, you know, really once again put you in a position to say the league is pretty much clinched. But then there's the risk of putting them into a high-intensity game before they're actually ready. So I actually don't expect – I mean, I, I guess I need to get a little bit more up-to-date on the actual progress reports on them. But I guess I would – I mean, Dembele may be a cameo at the way end. I'm not sure if even Pedri and, and Frankie are good enough to start the game. But I think it's high risk of putting them in, right away into a game like this. And I let it go – are in very good uh, form right now. So it's going to be a really tough and very physical game. And maybe it has to be a grinded out and not a pretty game, but the way they did against Real Madrid, just grind it out, find a way. It doesn't have to be the Barcelona way on the field, uh, but get a result, you know, however it comes and just keep it low scoring and try to find the goal wherever it comes from. But it's going to be a good game. And I think this is a game for Xavi to show his chops as a manager, his decisions he makes. Does he play him? Does he not play him? Uh, and I think we're going to be talking a lot about him at the end of the game. Chavi showing his chops always concerns me. I don't want to see Chavi's chops <laughs> yet. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about uh, some non-Barcelona stuff. Did you get to? Uh, did you get to watch much of the Champions League this week? Uh, I did. Yep, I watched the Champions League. Perfect. All right. So <laughs> this was. 
I don't know if you felt the same way I did. So the semifinal matchups, one, are incredible. Like to have a Milan derby and then the rematch of Madrid against uh, Man City is great. This is going to be awesome. Yes. Uh, I was left underwhelmed by the quarterfinals, though. Yes, they were fun to watch, but we haven't had in the round of 16 or this or, or in the quarterfinals a like kind of a barn burner to like tie, really, uh, no. especially in the quarterfinals. And I want to ask you this. This is something I think you and I talked about when it was first announced, the away goal getting taken away. Now, in a vacuum, it seems cool. The away goal seems gimmicky. It seems like a dumb thing to add. I think it's hurting the drama. And I think it it was very, very obvious in the quarterfinals here of how much it hurt the drama. Do you agree? Uh, I hadn't thought about it before you just brought it up, but I will have to say, when you asked me the question, did you watch the Champions League this week? And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. But there was like a lack of excitement in my voice when I said it. And I think it's true that, especially compared to years past, these have not been super exciting games. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I do enjoy watching Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. And just from a technical excellence point of view, that was really fun to watch them tear apart Bayern Munich. And given the fact that Bayern Munich has punished Barcelona so much in recent years, that was very satisfying to see. But yeah, now that you mentioned it, um, I think the away goal, as much as you hate it, you're like, oh, it's so unfair. It's not about... It's just, uh, but it does create drama in every single game. And I guess they didn't have the away goal last year either. Is that right? And last year had some pretty good games. Yeah. Some very good games. And unfortunately, Real Madrid was at the center of all those really dramatic games last year. So maybe we just need a little bit bigger of a sample size. But I'm, I'm definitely open to considering that point now that maybe the away goal was added more fun than I even realized. I, I think it, it maybe isn't like, because you're right, like the sample size does matter. And last year there were some crazy dramatic, I mean, really just the Real Madrid matches were the crazy ones. But uh, it it's very obvious that in the first leg, especially, obviously, because the second leg is the do or die game. But in the first leg, the away team isn't as like, they don't they don't throw as much to the wall. Like they're, they're more passive. They're, you know, perhaps... I, I don't know. It just, it changes things a lot because, or if you're the home team and you're losing, you know, like Benfica, for instance, right? Like, yeah, Benfica wanted to score, but Inter going up to nil wasn't as devastating as it would have been if there were away goals. Um, I don't know. I think you're right. Like uh, it is maybe reading a little bit too much into it, but it definitely did pop in my head this week. Like, oh, the, the implications of those first legs aren't as big and the teams feel like they can do more in the second leg. And then, oh, it, it turns out like, nobody did more in the second leg like napoli didn't really do more in the second leg they didn't score till like the 93rd minute or whatever it was um and it i don't know it, it just creates a strange dynamic from you know i didn't start really watching football until the early 2010s and a lot of what i remember about champions league football was how big of a deal and how annoying the away goal was but it created so much dramatic nature and like we still need a couple more years of sample size you're very right about that but it has popped in my head a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because it even makes you question like the need to even have two legs at some point. Like the Wagles make the two legs seem so much more interesting in a way. And of course, you want to give each team, if you're not going to play neutral venues, a chance to have their home and their away game. Uh, I'm definitely open to, to um, considering that. But I will also say that the Champions League needs Barcelona. They're, not having Barcelona in the knockouts makes the Champions League. I, I feel like this isn't even just a Barcelona fan saying it. As much as I love the storyline of the two Milan teams playing in the semifinal, because that's going to be an amazing environment to watch, 
they are not exciting teams to watch. Neither one of them. I like Rafael Leal. There's a few players who are the exceptions, but I'm sorry for like a, a purely, and I'm going to love the environments. The Derby make, brings it to another in, in level. And so the semifinal will be great, but seeing them even like Inter Milan getting past Barcelona in the, in the knockouts and having to watch them in the Champions League, it's very underwhelming. So Barcelona, you are very much needed and missed in the Champions League knockouts. No, and the the way that the brackets shook out, um, the fact that Inter uh, got to play Porto and Benfica back to back, Benfica especially was surprising to me. Like they have looked unbelievable all year. Like very similar to yeah. Napoli, and then just tripped over themselves and couldn't do anything for whatever yeah. reason. And same thing for Napoli. But I mean, for uh, and then Milan got to play Tottenham in the round of 16 and Inter got to play Ben or uh, Porto who did nothing. Yeah. Uh, and neither you look have been the... too great in the yeah. CIA. I think both of them are kind of struggling to be honest. They're like not even in champions league spots. No, they're um, not. Milan are in fifth and Inter are in sixth. Now that Juventus had their 15 point deduction uh, appealed. So yeah. it's definitely strange. Uh, and then you look on the other side of the bracket and who did city play in the round of 16? Do you remember? I'm looking um, this up now. Cause I don't. German team. Leipzig. No. Leipzig, yeah, it was yeah. Leipzig, yeah. And, and okay, so I guess that kind of defeats my. I mean, but City are still going to have to go through, you know, Real Madrid and then, uh, and then uh, Bayern to get to the, uh, the the final if they do. the yeah, the, the thing that sucked to the thing that sucked to me, the thing that I was most disappointed about was not getting to see Julian Nagelsmann's Bayern because I do feel like and PSG were terrible in their tie. Byron were like they had just figured something out, and the fact that over two legs in the Champions League, Thomas Tuchel doesn't play Thomas Mueller for like more than thirty minutes combined was insane to me. Like his, I don't know, I lost a lot of uh, uh, respect for Tuchel over these two legs because I thought he just got out outclassed, outmanaged, and his Byron team has looked horrible. Uh, I don't know if you have any yeah. uh, blazing hot Byron takes, but I would have loved to have seen Nagelsmann deployment his deployment of Bayern against Guardiola because I still think City would have won, but the way that uh, Tuchel played this Bayern team over two legs was bizarre to me. Yeah, I know he's more of an attacking coach for sure. It would have been more interesting. I'm not sure that Bayern would have won. I think City are just so good right now. Uh, but, you know, it was an interesting gamble. Tuchel has a history taking down Guardiola in the Champions League, and even, uh, you know, he's a good coach. He has the bona fides for sure. So it was a... An interesting gamble. Clearly, there are issues between um, Nagelsmann and the board over at Bayern. Uh, would have preferred to see a more attacking game for sure. Once again, I just like to see exciting games, and we didn't really get to see it except for just appreciating the excellence of Manchester City. Um, but I think Tuchel is a long-term coach. But I'm not sure how long he's going to last because his tactics are too like conservative for a big club like that. Well, he's and you, coach, you, but I don't know about the thing. You say he's a long-term coach. My dude doesn't stick around for very long, and especially thinking about how he's going to clash with someone like Khan, I uh, I find it hilarious. Yeah, it won't be a long term fit. I think for Chelsea, that was it was in my mind how it was silly for them to get rid of him at the time when they got rid of him, and considering what happened afterwards. Um, but you're right; he doesn't stick around places for long for one reason or another. So yeah. we'll see what che- happens there. Chelsea is an abomination of a club. Um, before we head out. If you had to, or not if you had to, because I'm asking you, uh, who do you think is going to make it to the Champions League final? Um, I want to go with AC Milan because I do like the, as someone who grew up in the generation when they were really good in the early 2000s, 
Uh, I'd like to see them back in the final. <laughs> so I guess, and why not? It's kind of a coin toss to me between those two teams, between Inter and AC Milan. Um, so I'll go with them. And then Manchester City, it just has to be their destiny this year. It's it's right there. They have to take it. I think this is why they bought Erling Holland. And I think he's just going to, I think they're going to really take apart Real Madrid, who I still think are having a rough season and won't be able to keep up with them. So I think that's going to be it. And I think that AC Milan is going to get torn apart in the final when it happens. So I think it could be a really glorious moment for Pep Guardiola. I think I, I think City will advance. I have Inter advancing just because I think they've had uh, Milan's number over the last couple of years in big matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weirdly, when they're not... Again, Inter have literally gotten one point in their last five domestic matches. Like They have been bad in the league. But for whatever reason... I, I don't know why the rotation's working in the Champions League, but uh, the City Real Madrid, I like. I can't even begin to tell you. I think Barcelona fans were obviously already going to be rooting for City. I will be devastated if Real Madrid, like it, it will feel like a Barcelona loss if Real Madrid advance over Pep Guardiola and march towards another Champions League win. Like it will literally, it will, it will ruin me. I will be so sad. It can happen, and it's a good note to end on because it's not just Barca fans talking about something that we're involved with. The truth is it'll put even more pressure on Xavi. It's just I know, it, it, as amazing as it is to win the domestic trophy, um, to see Madrid win another Champions League, um, it's just something that is unfathomable. And yet, you know, none of us would be shocked to see it happen. But Barcelona needs to be a team that can, can compete in Europe, and it needs to happen now. No excuses. So going into the summer... Um, let's just hope that Pep Guardiola does us a solid <laughs> and we don't have to have put that pressure on our coach because uh, and just for myself I just don't think I'll be in despair having to see Madrid win another Champions League hope it doesn't happen that would be terrible alright uh, Nick as always thank you for joining us uh, everybody check out Nick's great work at BarcaBlogRanas.com and we will talk to you next time <laughs>